Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Pastor Kristen Stone King. Our mission at Epworth is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Together, we encourage each other, challenge each other, and welcome all people on their journey of faith. We are a reconciling congregation, meaning that persons of all sexual orientations and gender identities are welcomed to help transform our church and our world into the full expression of Christ's inclusive love. We are a sanctuary church advocating for the rights and dignity of immigrants, and we stand in solidarity with the movement for Black Lives. taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We're fighting for our children. We shall not be moved. 
We're fighting for our children. We shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We'll build a better union, we shall not be moved. We'll build a better union, we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We're fighting for each other, we shall not be moved. We're fighting for each other, we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved. We shall not, we shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the water. We shall not be moved. Uh, today's scripture is from Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 24 to 37. It's on page 42 of the New Testament in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. And you might want to because there's some hard words in this one. <laughs> from there, he set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. They brought him to a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched the tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephphatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The Word of God. Hard times, they're coming. You can feel it in the air. You can read it in the paper, you can see it everywhere. Gonna be trials and tribulation, a 
astonishment and shock. You're gonna need a strong foundation, need a solid rock. We gotta hold on to each other, hold on strong. We gotta hold on to each other until the danger's gone. We gotta hold on to each other all night long. We gotta hold on to each other. We gotta hold on strong. It's easy to get lonely. Yeah, it's easy to get lost. And it's easy to get crumpled up, towed away and tossed. Don't let yourself get isolated. Don't get caught up in despair. Don't run and hide, just come inside. You know you'll find us there. We gotta hold on to each other. Hold on strong. We gotta hold on to each other until the danger's gone. We gotta hold on to each other all night long. We gotta hold on to each other. We gotta hold on strong. Even the tallest tree in the forest can't make it on its own. You're gonna need some friends around you when that wind begins a blowing. It's gonna shake up all our branches. It's gonna tug on all our roots till the only thing left standing is the love that's great and true. We gotta hold on to each other, hold on strong. We gotta hold on to each other till the danger's gone. We gotta hold on to each other all night long. We gotta hold on to each other. We gotta hold on strong. We gotta hold on. Other. We gotta hold on strong. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning with a question. Some may even find it confessional. But don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to, to raise your hand if this has happened to you, though you can if you want. Um, you can just respond silently. And given that we're all masked, no one can even see your expression. So here's my question. 
how many of you have either partially or completely slept through a sermon? <laughs> well, I know I have, at least partially. And, and, and while that may be a common experience to many of us, now I'm going to do something that you probably have never heard. It's not so common. From here on out, you have my affirmation to sleep in the sermon if that's what you need to do. Are you surprised? Are you surprised that I would say that? Well, new research done at UC Berkeley about the importance of sleep shows that adequate sleep may be even more important than diet or exercise to maintaining health. And that fully two-thirds of us in the developed world are chronically sleep-deprived. I'm recalling how the Iron Lady, British, uh, Britain's former Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher, was famous for, for bragging that she had trained her body to live uh, on and need only four hours of sleep a night. But science now tells us that except for in a very small percentage of people who have what is known as the short sleep gene, I do not have this gene, <laughs> adults need seven to nine hours of sleep a night and teens need eight to 10 hours. So if you find yourself dozing, it could be a sign that you're sleep deprived, not that the sermon hasn't intrigued you. <laughs> and sleep is what you need. It was the Greek philosopher Heraclitus who said, even a soul submerged in sleep is hard at work and helps make something of the world. So nap if you must. I know there are times that sleep is just in short supply. I remember as a new parent, it was the, the thing I craved more than anything. But I actually hope, if possible, that adequate sleep will join your priorities if it's not already there. Because there is also something fascinating happening in our brains and in our bodies when we are awake and present to sermons and meditation, prayer, and other forms of spiritual engagement like liturgies and rituals that happen in worship. The research of neuroscientist Andrew Newberg focuses on what he calls God circuits in our brains. Among other things, these God circuits mean that intense long-term contemplation of God and a focus on other spiritual values appears to permanently change the structure of those parts of the brain that control our moods, give rise to our conscious notions of self, and shape our sensory perceptions of the world. The fundamental wellness offered by sleep is further enhanced and, um, and, and grown when we interact with ideas and experiences that offer hope, care, meaning, and transcendence. Now, if you don't believe me and you wear any sort of fitness tracker, an Apple Watch or a Garmin or a Fitbit, notice how your heart and your stress rate 
decrease significantly during worship. When we're fully present to God and worship, God has the opportunity to enhance and bring about our wellness. Our scripture today, which you heard Diane read from the Gospel of Mark, offers us two stories of healing and wellness. The first is the story of the Syrophoenician woman who asks that Jesus heal her daughter of a demon. It's one of the more problematic accounts of Jesus's life and ministry. As you heard this morning, the woman learns that Jesus has come near to the area where she is living. She goes to him and she falls on her knees and she begs for the healing of her daughter. And then Jesus doesn't respond as we expect him to. In fact, he does something shocking and disturbing. He responds to her, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. In this statement, at, at that time, it, it would have been understood that the children refers to the people of Israel, while the dogs refer to those who are, are not among the Jews who are thought to be unclean and considered to be beneath uh, Jesus's people at that time. What he's really doing in this passage is calling the woman a dog. We can imagine this mother deep in pain at seeing her child suffer. She doesn't know what to do. What parent or person among us cannot identify with this feeling of painful, fearful helplessness when we are unable to stop the suffering of the ones we love? And yet Jesus does not respond with the compassion that we expect him to. Instead, he responds with derision and brittleness, probably even doing more harm. Yet the Syrophoenician woman is not deterred. She comes back at Jesus with, yes, sir, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then the Jesus we know and love shows up and says to her, for such a reply, you may go. Your daughter has been made well. Scholars have struggled with this passage. And feminist scholars have offered that this is an example of how even God can change. As we see Jesus make this shift from unconsciousness and bias to presence and affirmation and healing. Some have posited that this passage shows the moral rightness of oppressed persons insisting on honor and respect and wellness and receiving it. I accept these interpretations and I find them important for our understanding of who God is in Jesus and who we are in relationship to God. God can change, God can grow, God can interact with our demands for engagement and wellness and wholeness. But there is something else happening here. Did you notice that the passage begins, from there he set out and went away to the region of Tyree. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. 
It seems to me that Jesus is tired, exhausted even. He knows he needs rest and solitude, probably sleep. So he goes out by himself and tries to hide. He's seeking rest and renewal, but he doesn't get it. Instead, word spreads that he's there and the same kinds of requests that he's been trying to get a break from are again right in front of him. No escape. I think that what we are seeing here is in part a cautionary tale for us about the harm that we can do when we push past the tank being on empty. Let us not forget that even in his divinity, Jesus was fully human. If we do not find rest and renewal when we are depleted, we are in danger of doing harm. But the woman's honest and accepting response, neither recanting her need nor discounting Jesus's depletion, brought about wellness. You may go, Jesus says to her, the demon has left your daughter. It's significant that Jesus does not actually do anything to bring about the daughter's healing. He doesn't touch her, he doesn't pray over her, or even see her. He says, for saying that, the demon has left your daughter. So it is the woman's words, not Jesus's actions, that were the key in this healing. What did she do that made the difference? She acknowledged her need, her daughter's need, and even turned Jesus back toward himself to look at his own need by taking up his disparaging and dehumanizing characterization of her. It's as if she is saying, you call me a dog, but see, I'm actually a human in need, just like you. What is so amazing and life-giving in this passage is that we see the dynamic interplay of the full humanity in the incarnate God and the imago dei, the image of God, the divine spark that resides in humans, the humanity in God and the divinity in us. Healing came for not just the daughter, but for the woman and Jesus also through the mutual engagement of need and care in this interaction. Have you ever noticed that when you're in conversation with someone, maybe in conflict, maybe in pain, and you admit your own need when you acknowledge their need, something breaks open, something moves? This story of healing is immediately followed by another one. And in the second one, Jesus has left the region of Tyre and is on the move again. In the stories immediately preceding the story of the Syrophoenician woman and now hereafter it, Jesus is moving through the villages of the upper Galilee and his main activity is healing. In fact, the majority of the miracles performed by Jesus are healings. It's as if the Gospels are saying, if you understand nothing else, only one thing from the life of Jesus on earth, let it be this, God wills your wellness 
God is moving among you, actively seeking your wholeness. God's healing power is available to you. Seek it out. Turn towards it. In the second story, a man who could not hear asks Jesus to open his ears, to help him to hear again. And in the story, Jesus sticks his fingers in the man's ears and says these words, be opened, be opened. And the man can hear. In our context that prizes youthfulness and affluence and physical power, we have been conditioned to understand healing as embodying these things. And when prayers for healing do not achieve these things, we can be tempted to say that God has ignored our prayers for healing. I have members of my own family and those whom I love who live with diagnoses that have taken away the ability to walk, that have taken away the ability to remember. These are painful and difficult things. They do not seem fair. Many times I have cried to God and said, why don't you heal her? Why don't you let him walk? Why don't you do like Jesus did with the man who could not hear, touch his ears and say, be opened? Why don't you heal them? But Jesus's words of healing here are for me too. Jesus's words to the man who could not hear are for all of us. Be opened, be opened. Be opened to the ways that healing may be manifest right now. Maybe healing is not coming in body, but in a new way of being that brings peace or in the letting go of an unhealthy attachment, or in a relationship reconciled, or in being open to the humanity of one who had been previously overlooked and discounted or disparaged. We are all in need of healing in so many ways. On this Labor Day weekend, I hope you will find ways to sleep, to rest, and to renew your spirit. I hope that your well will be replenished, and I pray that you will feel the presence of God moving among you and toward you and with you, offering healing miracles to each of us in surprising and unexpected ways. Be opened, turn towards God, be opened and be well. Amen.
You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Wherever you're located, we'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. Our online worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings on Facebook, YouTube, and on our website at epworthberkeley.org. Or you can fill out an online connect card at epworthberkeley.org backslash connect. Have a great week. One call.